With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. 911, what's your emergency? I can't find Captain Nash and his wife's cruise ship. Tonight, 911 comes to ABC. If we're going to make it out of here, we got to work together. Tonight at 9 on ABC, followed by 7 News at 11. She was hired to fix DC's 911 problems. It was the worst I'd ever seen. But instead says she was fired for exposing the failures. The blame belongs in leadership. Now the I-team digs into what fueled the mayor's decision. Tonight on 7 News at 5. Hey everybody, Holden here. Because of your support, The Wizard and the Bruiser is about to start getting advertising, which is like a really huge deal for us. And for that, I just want to say thank you. In the meantime, if you could fill out this short survey, it would really, really help us out a lot. All you have to do is go to this website. It's wondery.com forward slash survey. Once again, that's wondery, W-O-N-D-E-R-Y dot com forward slash survey. It shouldn't take too much of your time and it'll really, really help us out. Thank you so much for listening and on with the show. Welcome to the Wizard and the Bruiser. I'm your filthy wizard, Holden McNeely. And I'm your crispy, clean bruiser. Put him up, you rascal. Oh, you square. Let's go to a hooker joint. Nothing below the belt, thank you. I'm going to put a spell on a frog. Give him breasts. Clean bruising uh, coming at you. <laughs> and today we are doing an episode on the iconic film, Friday the 13th. Jake, I... Have a, a a a love for this film mm-hmm. that that stems from. I should say, I, I I like to kind of start with our personal experience a little mm-hmm. bit sometimes, right? And so my personal experience was this: I was not a horror person growing up. Neither unlike, was I. Unlike a hundred percent of my friends, besides and, you and our audience listening right now, and most of the, all the <laughs> audience listening right now. That uh, yes, especially yeah, coming from the last podcast uh, uh fandom. I grew up, like, afraid of horror, and even, like, a naked woman in a movie scared me a little bit, (laughs) and I was just, like, not into it, and I didn't understand why anyone would want to watch it. I remember uh, watching the opening moments of uh, the Twilight Zone movie when my parents were away. It was on HBO, and I was like, oh, cool, Twilight Zone, let's check this out, and do you want to see something really scary? fucking i lost my <laughs> mind i like immediately turned it off and was like horrified for the rest of the night you still can't look at tom hanks without shitting yourself i know right i seriously i just yeah i literally lose my bowels every time i look at him and so in college um i remember it was it was one of my favorite summers of my life i ha- i i was like in a cool relationship i was like uh having fun with a lot of friends and we decided at the end of the summer was Freddy versus Jason, and I decided to finally sit down and go through all of the Friday the 13th movies and all, all of, of the ne- Nightmare on Elm Street movies. At, like, almost every night, we would go to Blockbuster, that rent the next one. That is a summer, one. man. Dude, it 
ruled. And I, it made me like a lover of slasher films and horror movies in general. Like I just totally got it. It just totally clicked. And we'll talk about what that click is. What was your experience with Friday the 13th? I think we've gone in this. I was also not a horror fan. I was a scared, frightened child. And, uh, I just never had that allure because uh, I had a really tough time. This was the era of prosthetic effects, of practical special effects. So, like, all these gory kills and all these, like, terrifying prosthetics. Like, I remember just seeing the trailer for Jason Goes to Hell, and my brain could not, like, contemplate that there was latex and foam and makeup happening. I just saw the lumpiest murder man who ever lived, and I, like, my primal ape brain screamed get that away from me <laughs> and also my primal actual voice screamed get that away from me <laughs> um so i was really excited to do this because just like the alien episode you finally sat down i and finally watched sat Friday down 13th? and watched this were, and i were you not like spoiler alert by the way and by the way seriously if you haven't seen the movie before listening to this probably go watch the movie before doing that uh were you not blown away by the fact that jason Voorhees is like not barely in this fucking movie oh he's in this movie all right <laughs> and this is the best jason yeah yeah you think so uh honest to god i really i mean everyone knows the twist it's like part of the lore it's like it might as well be can it might as well be in the title like uh friday the 13th part one parentheses you know jason's not the killer of this one you know that's actually <laughs> um yeah i yeah. guess i mean we'll, we'll get into it later we'll give we'll give people that some by some miracle don't know the twist <laughs> uh, an extra five minutes to like prepare to hit pause <laughs> but uh i mean the sh it was a little shocking to me and also and, i mean we're mainly going we're going to be focusing on the first movie uh in this episode but i love the evolution of jason too mm -hmm. that like in the second movie you don't even get proper jason you get potato sack you get baghead jason. they call yeah, him baghead totally they call him baghead you get potato sack jason does he get the hockey mask at the end part, of two no in get part in three. three and then my favorite one i have to say shout out to friday the 13th part four with a, Cor a very young Corey feldman awesome friday the 13th mm. movie i think i'm a, a, also my favorite nightmare on elm street i believe is part four is dream warriors part four Dream Warriors, I That's believe. That's not the intensely homosexual one, is That's it? That's the one with the little kids and oh, the uh, okay. and, that have to that band together and fight back against Freddy. It's awesome, but we're not talking about Freddy. We're talking about Jason Voorhees, or more importantly, Jason Voorhees' mom. It was three. Okay, cool. Dream Warriors is my favorite. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's the third one. But anyways, let's get to how Friday the Thirteenth came to be, and and you can you have to start with the director of the film, Sean S. Cunningham, who was like a Broadway boy. He, he was, was a like Broadway a, boy. He was like a Broadway boy. He 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 was a manager at uh, New York's Lincoln Center and Oregon Sh and the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and the Mineola Theater in Long Island. These are like fancy theaters. He's like a dude who hailed from straight out of straight out of Broadway. Um and he initially was sort of like a a, a dirty movie guy. He uh was kind of this he he was just trying to get by however he could on the cheap because he was an independent filmmaker based out of the New York tri-state area. Uh, operating a lot in Connecticut. Mm. Uh, you know, he had a lot of stuff like industrial films, commercials, you know, anybody with a camera and an eye and like just a need to pay the rent, like will be familiar with these gigs. And uh, 
yeah, he ended up, uh, you know, he got the most bang for his buck on softcore movies. Yeah, it was a whole exploitation thing. Uh, his first film, The Art of Marriage, is referred to as a white coder. Now, the reason why it was called a white coder is because at the very opening of these films, there would always be a man in a white uh, <laughs> doctor's coat who would who would uh, oh, explain this w- that this was an educational film, and then just so that he could show Priscilla, could show Priscilla, my old-timey wife. <laughs> I've noticed that the loins in your fiery bottom has no longer ignited for me. Perhaps a night at the cinema shall shall make us a, a couple again. A bit of an educational experience to see what what how how people screw on camera. Um, so yeah, that was how they kind of got away with these things, and um, it was shot. Priscilla, with a- my old timey wife, look, they're standing while they do it. Standing. Who'd <laughs> ever seen it? I want a divorce. <laughs> Pris- and a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> Well, I can get you one of those because it's old timey times. <laughs> <laughs> Five cents for one of those. Um, now we have to hurry back. Our eighteen children need to need someone to watch over them. <laughs> ah, they're all dead. <laughs> um, it was shot in a budget of thirty five hundred dollars with three crew members. He had no idea what he was doing at that time. He even said that he when he filmed it, he 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 didn't even think he would need three crew members. <laughs> like that's how little he knew about making movies. Um, and uh, the whole thing got huge on word of mouth. Um, and people were lining up around the block to see it and it ended up profiting a hundred thousand dollars. So that was his very first take. Now this is going to be the same for, for this guy's like entire career, especially up front, making movies for next to nothing getting them huge based on just just people talking mm-hmm. just you know uh and 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 then making an obscene amount of mo- profit because of how kind of low budget the thing was but then how and and it really is the model for horror movies in general i mean it's why horror is such a big genre in the industry is it's such a money maker i mean you can make money i mean the latest one a big craze was get out i don't i forget what the budget was for get out but get out was made for next to nothing comparatively and it made a idiotic amount of money i mean the the i think the most like nothing to 4.5 million it made 4.5 oh is the budget was it for, was for 4.5 yeah 5 million now how much did it make how much did it gross uh, worldwide, it over made 100. It, an idi- it made an idiotic amount of money. It made so much money. Actually, that's interesting because we have the uh, inflation-adjusted number for the first Friday the Thirteenth. So uh, it made worldwide. Oh or no, domestic. God. Domestic made just 175 million dollars. Just domestic. Yeah, just domestic. Which this is incredible. Uh, in- adjusted for inflation, Friday the Thirteenth fir- Part One. Made a uh, hundred and seventeen million dollars. Wow! So not so not even that much lower. No, if I mean Friday the Thirteenth is like a cultural touchstone, and in the, I, if we're if more money equals more good, then Get Out is a empirically better movie than Friday the Thirteenth Part One. <laughs> also. In terms of movies, Get Out is a much better movie than Friday the Thirteenth Part One. Well, I mean, because and and our, our producer Megan disagrees wholeheartedly, feels very strongly about Friday the Thirteenth. Actually, so there you go. You do have that calling in there, and I I was very much so charmed by this film. A lot of critics were not. We'll get to that though. 
a little while. But either way, going back to the art of marriage, um, it 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 <laughs> more it, about this porno. <laughs> more about this porn movie. I spent a lot of time looking at the, all the ins and all the outs of art of marriage. And another film called Together. Now, Together was made also by Sean S. Cunningham, but it 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 attracted the interest of a broke as fuck, very young, very desperate to break into the film industry, Wes. Craven. Wes Craven ended up helping Sean S. Cunningham as his first credit ever on a film as associate producer, by the way. He ended up working for free for Sean S. Cunningham on Together. Now, Together was a essentially an attempt to make the art of marriage better because Sean S. Cunningham felt that the art of marriage was kind of shitty, which I'm sure it probably <laughs> was, and he wanted to make a better version of it. So, oh, no. So, what? I just looked up the poster for Together. And the uh, the the you know the tagline is look for yourself, judge for yourself, see what your children can show you about love. Ew, because it's well, like, hey, old people, watch these hippies fuck. It's got a very young Marilyn Chambers, which uh, she would end up being in a very famous porno behind the green door. Um, that was straight up a hardcore porno. There's a big scene with her and apparently a very handsome black gentleman, and she uh, rubs a uh, runs a yellow flower upon his penis and it was a big to do again word of mouth lines around the block now Wes Craven helped him synchronize the dailies at the end of the day and then it totally ended up being his like editor mm-hmm. on the film just out of nowhere out of desperation again just totally just Wes Craven and Wes Craven worked on it for free and then it ended up making a gigantic profit Wait, yet again not Midnight Murder Meat Trains Wes Craven that's right Midnight Murder <laughs> Meat Trains Wes Craven <laughs> And um, it was huge. Uh, it was uh, distributed by Hallmark Releasing. And um, they ended up turning around afterwards and giving Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham a check for $90,000 to make a scary movie. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, that scary movie would end up being Last House on the Left. All right? 1972 is when it came out. Two teenage girls are taken into the woods and tortured by a game, gang of murderous thugs. Um, it was inspired by Midnight Mark- Murder Me Train was Clyde Barker. I'm so sorry to our audience. <laughs> I apologize. Well, what's another uh, good one for Wes Craven? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was too focused on the fun of saying Midnight Scream. Murder Well, Midnight Scream's Train. great. We'll get into Scream, too. We can talk about Scream a little bit because it's making fun of Friday the 13th. So. Uh, inspired by Igmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring, it's a rape revenge story uh, set in medieval Sweden. The Virgin Spring is now, uh, of course, Last House on the Left is brought to modern day. It was originally planned to be a hardcore film called Night of Vengeance. Um, and then it went through several different name changes like Sex Crime <laughs> of the Century or Krug and Company after the uh, evil Krug character or The Men's Room. Thank God, because I would hate to have... Uh, podcast of vengeance or sex podcast of the century or Krogan podcast or the men's podcast room would all be terrible names for a horror podcast. The men's podcast room sounds like a very interesting podcast. and I want to <laughs> listen to it. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, they, they, they collaborated on this film. So it's kind of the point directly in between what would later be Friday the 13th and um, the art of marriage, like a horror sex horror I mean, the exploitation film genre was alive and well at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, kind of blurring that line, taking advantage of the way that the rating system worked, and uh, 
you know, it's again, this is pre-internet. This is pre, you know, there was like legit dank, greasy porno theaters yeah. where like you could see movies like gross, this. weird porno theaters where you'd see. Yeah. And and mm. this was around the time of a lot of the, and I think I did see last house on the left. Of course, it has like the um, biting a penis off <laughs> and it's just incredibly full of rape. And um, it was just like very upsetting um, and a penis being bitten off. So those all happened. That in the happens. Last, <laughs> last house of the left. Um, it's weird to say last house of the left. Yeah. It feels weird, right, at this point. Uh, now <laughs> there was also, I mean, that movie for all of the for all of the influences it's had, and how it's like kind of forbidden nature, kind of like drew this community of horror fans that were like seeking taboo and like kind of uh, uh, illicit thrills through the cinema as uh, The Last House on the Left was kind of a focal point for this, all over the world, there were countries that refused to show the movie in, like, the 2000s. It's, yeah. you know, it was this this marker of, of a new generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made everyone involved basically black sheep and pariahs. Yeah. Like, yeah. it didn't do fantastic commercially uh, until, like, you know, kind of the until the horror community kind of cemented around it. Uh, after... Last House on the Left, they did a Case of the Full Moon case Murders. Case of the Full Moon Murders. You're the, shaking your head, Megan. You've seen this film? The Case of the Smiling oh, okay. Stiffs. The Ca- year's hottest whodunit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not really a horror movie. It's like a sexy murder mystery. It is a terrible sexy murder mystery You've with seen it dumb as well? puns. Uh, they, I saw clips of it. And it is it is real dumb with like puns. It's just like, will we ever get to the bottom of this hairy case? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it's uh, real like boner jokes. It and... had a lot of the same cast from Last House on the Left as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> sexy good times is a poster for we're looking at. Um, yeah, I hadn't heard a whole lot of that, but I really love the name, the case of the full moon murders. Um, but then we get to the good stuff. And I mean, by good stuff, I mean the Bad News Bears straight-up rip-off film, uh, Here Come the Tigers. Here Come the Tigers, in <laughs> addition to Manny's Orphans, which were filmed literally side-by-side with each other. <laughs> right after he, he filmed, Sean S. Cunningham filmed, and now this is without Wes Craven. Wes Craven's yeah. gone off to do his own thing. Um, and then, Nightmare on Elm Street is Wes Craven. Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street, yeah. He went off to do that uh, eventually, right? I don't think that had come out. Not quite yet. Yeah. But, um, but my lord, um, I had, did you watch any of this, Jake? Because you were excited to talk about these films. I laughed my ass off when I just saw like the movie posters for these films. Uh, well, it's, it's really funny because this is like we talk about the moments that kind of make things like – these pivotal like kind of moments of desperation that lead to kind of great cultural moments. And here's the thing, Sean Cunningham and his writing partner, Victor Miller, who uh, actually uh, wrote both of these terrible children's sports movies under the pseudonym Arch McCoy. uh, They were not succeeding. Like, uh, you know, their movies were considered, uh, you know, kind of too hot to handle. And like, you know, you can only get a couple, you know, some like a couple thousand dollars from softcore movies. You know, it's not enough to like build a life. Of course. Uh, you, you can't know. please kids at home. If you hear us say one thing to you all right now, <laughs> you can't build a life off of softcore porn <laughs> films. All right. Go hardcore or go, you know, cinematic clean cut. Yeah, but like ideally you want your career to go on a trajectory and. For t- both of these men, that trajectory had stalled out. Yeah. 
And so they swung for the fences because, you know, seeing all the criticism they had received from uh, Last House on the Left, they were like, okay, family films, kids, sports, good times, sitcom actors, physical comedy. This is where the future is. This is how you cement your reputation and just get solid movie gigs from here on out. We'll just get a bunch of little leaguers. We'll just hire some child actors. It'll be fine. Uh, in fact, we'll save so we'll save even more money. We'll film the baseball movie and the soccer movie at basically the same time. Bada bing, bada boom. We're in the money. I don't gotta make marital aids for weird uh, war veterans. <laughs> I should have looked and seen if the casts were at all similar. Um, I didn't know if they if they recycled kids. That young would be amazing. young Jason Voorhees appears what? in uh, Here Come the Tigers. Oh, amazing! He's well, that's like, awesome. He's like a sassy Jewish kid. That's awesome. Um, and uh, both of them fail miserably. Failed. Well, I Failure. mean, it's just you know, and Bad News Bears like really good, and these came Bad out, News like, Bears right did, after. Yeah, it did really well. Bad yeah, News Bears yeah. was incredible. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Uh, they even use the same art style for the cartoony depiction of the cover of uh, of uh, the, the <laughs> film as well, which is hilarious. Um, anywho, uh, but, but those movies came out in 1978. Yeah, you know same. what you know what else came out in 1978? Um, actually, can we get the uh, can we can we just let the, let the audience at home get it from this this fun little at sound? the exact year that these two guys failed and fell on their asses for being sleazy. Uh, what came out and blew away box office records for an indie film was a little movie called Halloween. John Carpenter destroyed with Halloween. Unbelievably destroyed. With, still destroys with Halloween, by the way. That <laughs> movie still is amazing. And for it to be um, ar- arguably, debatably, the first slasher film... Um, of of all time is kind of I know that I don't know I think Megan's giving me a look are you giving me a look because of Black Christmas? No, I think <laughs> Black Chris I, I Black Christmas I think someone that's Canadian it doesn't count it doesn't count it's Canadian thank you Jake <laughs> for reaffirming what I would I would have also said that mm-hmm. came out in 1974 it was a sorority slasher flick flick I've actually heard from a movie buff friend of mine uh, Sarah that it is a uh, phenomenal it's her favorite slasher film so i do want to go back and watch it but halloween really cemented the slasher horror trope and all or genre and all of the tropes that go along with that genre which we'll get into in talking about it you can't talk about friday the 13th without talking about halloween starring jamie lee curtis uh, it, it, you know, uh, and, and about Mike Myers, uh, who in 1963 murders his sister, um, and then escapes from a mental asylum and, uh, uh, years later and stalks the, uh, teenager Laurie Strode. Um, it, so you have to imagine how much of a kick in the nuts that is where like you finally sold your soul to be like a clean cut move, a legitimate movie maker and the exact year being a sleaze bag pays off immensely. And it is l- the exact same deal uh, with a slightly bigger budget. It's a budget of $300,000. It grossed $70 million worldwide, which is $267 million today. Um, it, 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 was, it, it established so many tropes, J- Jake. Let's talk about them here. Uh, the final girl trope mm-hmm. that we, of course, get in Friday the 13th, where the uh, last woman alive has to confront the killer. It always gets – they get knocked down one one after the other. Um, and crossover. Right? Alien, of course, <laughs> has the final girl trope in it, mm-hmm. um, of course, with uh, uh, Ripley. 
Ridley Scott directed it. Ridley is the main character. I will always hate him for making that choice. After doing this fucking show and having to mention Alien several times, I get so confused. Um, killing off the promiscu- sexually promiscuous and the drug abusers. Um, shooting uh, camera shots from the POV of the killer. Uh, the parent being responsible for the killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the killer having their own specific music whenever you see them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, all of these things we can see in Friday the 13th and so many other slasher films that came after it. I mean, what an unbelievable amount. I mean, it's be- it just speaks to how good Halloween is. I mean, it is still a horror movie that I return to again and again and enjoy. It is just, est- and, and it just establishes so many things in, a, in a, such a specific genre. So I looked up uh, the years that this happened, and uh, I looked up some interviews with Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller, and uh, Cunningham was 39 in 1978. Like, he was, he was, I I really believe he was, like, desperate for a hit, desperate to finally put his career to the next level, to kind of put the gig-to-gig lifestyle behind him. And so, in an interview, both confirmed this conversation, uh, in the shadow of Halloween success, Sean S. Cunningham called his writing partner victor miller and said hey you want to rip off halloween <laughs> yeah and yeah. they agreed to do it mm-hmm. and uh while and so this is when they undertake the uh the process and uh-huh. um the idea of just having you know a cheaply made movie with a killer in it that like just kind of murks a bunch of a bunch of kids uh before the script was even finished uh, you know, uh, famously, famously, Victor Miller's like rough draft was called a uh, a long night at Camp Blood. A long night at <laughs> Camp Blood. I mean, can you imagine? It could have been a long podcast at Camp Blood. <laughs> How terrible that name would be for a podcast. Cunningham was obsessed with following the uh, the holiday trope, the spooky holiday trope. Unfortunately, Halloween is the only spooky holiday, and yeah. he didn't want to make a Christmas one or the, uh, what was it, New Year's Sleigh or uh, all, all the bad ones, Jingle Bells or You'll Die. They all have shitty titles. Yeah. Uh, but Friday the th- but he settled on Friday the 13th, and before the script was even finished, before he even had any like actual reasonable way to make this movie, he put out an ad in Variety yes. Magazine. Mm-hmm. because he's a fucking showman. <laughs> yep, and he knew how to just dr- he was a hype machine. Mm-hmm. It was the, what it was all about. It was also apparently partially to just make sure no one else had the rights. Oh. <laughs> so apparently it was also a ploy to say, "All right, if I put this out, we'll get a letter." Cuz he knew everyone was scrambling to make a horror movie mm-hmm. around the holiday theme. And it's just big bold letters. Look it up. It's big bold letters. Busting through a pane glass window has not like it's just clearly was made without any understanding of what the actual film was even going to be. Um, And of course, that film, that script was written by Victor Miller. Uh, This guy uh, born in New Orleans, but he went to Yale Mm -hmm. uh, and took all the creative writing classes he could. He started out in 62 working in TV programming. And again, Fancy Lad co-founded the American Shakespeare Theater Center for Theater Techniques and Education. Like, these people are coming from, like, big, like, Manhattan theater scenes, Mm -hmm. which is kind of amazing. Um, He uh, really loved the whole uh, mother killer 
situation. That was his big thing. That's why he was really pissed, actually, when Jason came back at the end. We'll get into why, who came up with that. It wasn't him. Watching interviews with Victor is really interesting. He's like a classy, older dude. He's like got, he's covered in tattoos. He's had a lifetime uh, writing for soap operas. And like he considers the Friday the 13th movie just like, this thing he did on a lark that like he knew was terrible, but like still is proud of his little twists that he added to the genre. But he just, it is like, uh, he, yeah, no, he does not. He does not talk about like uh, Sean Cunningham and a lot of the cast of this movie. will talk about like, Oh, the cultural heritage, like the, 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 the ways that this movie has affected millions of lives. And he was like, I mean, it's full of plot holes. It <laughs> makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. He did love just the, the mother thing. He said, I, I took motherhood and turned it on its head, and I think that was great fun. Mrs. Voorhees was the mother I'd always wanted, a mother who would have killed for her kids. Oh, yeah. I, okay, ta-da. The killer was uh, Pamela Voorhees, Jason's mom. Oh, my God. It's a woman, baby. It's a woman, baby. <laughs> um, You know, uh. Yeah, that that is the big twist that that he put into the into the movie, and um, yeah, he like is like a actually kind of a smart, interesting guy. I'm glad you brought that <laughs> up, Jay, because it's kind of fascinating. You just wanted you thought that was going to be a guy with big sunglasses and like <laughs> you know a weird bur half burnt uh, fur coat you know, screaming about all the money he made off the movie or didn't get, you know. Uh, but he also settled on the idea of a summer camp. Ah, yes. Uh, because it's a place where teenagers can be isolated from the uh, from the outside world. And so there's no adults. There's no cops. They, you know, it's very easy for a lone killer to do a lot of damage. And it's also where teenagers be fucking. It's so much where teenagers be fucking. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about this? There's so be fucking at summer camps. This is like within prim and proper society. First part of summer camp is to get your kids out of the inner cities uh, before the summer hits and they all get like horrifying lung diseases from the miasma of being in a shit covered city before like proper hygiene was invented. And the second half was, so you could dump them in the woods and let them fuck without like you <laughs> officially knowing, even though that's like so many of my friends, parents, and even my own parents met at summer camp. Like it is the biggest Christians. How many Christian friends do you know met their significant others at summer camp? It's an elaborate ruse to let your teens fuck under partial supervision. And then, like, when they can come home and they got their rocks off, you can be like, no, be prim and proper, young man. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. I, and everyone can relate. And everybody wants to try fun new drugs mm -hmm. and see what a pussy looks like, uh, you know, uh, for the first time ever. I mean, it's a fantastic time. I never really uh, have a lot of fun summer camp. I didn't do a lot of the summer camping, and I feel like I really missed out. That's why I didn't make out with a girl till I was in college. <laughs> I think it's why. Even I made out with a girl before college, oh, thanks to summer camp. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. had nowhere else to go but my <laughs> lips. Um, the movie was, they uh, decided, oh, we, we skipped a vital step. It yep. was that because of the ad and variety and because of the boom, in like interest in horror and slasher movies, uh, Cunningham got a lot of backing mm. uh, from uh, the Mancuso brothers, I believe, uh, who ran a uh, a regional theater chain, as well as cementing a deal with Paramount Pictures, which is one of the most storied and famous movie companies that ever movie studios that ever existed. So uh, they had official backing, 
and now they actually had to make the damn thing. Well, I think a lot of what makes that movie very successful for them was hiring the makeup designer, Tom Savini. Well, it makes a lot of sense because uh, the filming was taking place at Camp... Hold on, I have to pronounce this. Nobi Nobi Bosco, (laughs) which was uh, basically, if you look at it on a map, it is on the ass crack line between New Jersey and Pennsylvania on the New Jersey side. Ah. And uh, Tom Savini famously got his start working with uh, George Romero. George Romero Mm -hmm. on the Day of the Dead films. Yes. And he's based out of that whole operation is based out of Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, there's like a lot of horror uh, people that got their start through Romero in Pittsburgh. Uh, his first film, uh, his big breakthrough was getting hired on to Romero's film Martin in 1978, and then Dawn of the Dead uh, shortly after that. Now, this is an interesting dude, Jake. Tom uh, Savini, uh, Italian descent, he actually ended up touring through Vietnam as a combat photographer. And a lot of what he had to do is he was seeing such horrible shit that he uh, had to tell himself it was all special effects in order to just get through the day without, like, just, like, you know, doing a bunch of heroin or whatever those guys were doing out there, right? I mean, we've all seen Platoon, right? Smoking weed, doing heroin, fucking playing with guns, do playing Russian roulette, right? the worst description of the Vietnam War I've ever heard. Right? <laughs> um, setting fire to babies' heads, right? <laughs> That's what they did. Just like a couple of times. Oh, my God. So anyways, before that, he'd always had an interest in makeup and and doing that sort of thing as a kid. And he was really into acting. After he got done with Vietnam, he ended up going to Carnegie Mellon University for acting and directing um, and incorporated what he saw, what what he was seeing in a lot of horror films and just anything with violence in it. Mm You know, he he saw people, when they died, it just didn't look right. And he knew how it looked because he'd seen it so much. He said, you know, people would die with smiles on their faces. People would die with one eye open and one eye closed. Little, like, details like that that he caught from just being at war um, that he was able to incorporate into his films. And that's why they uh, can be so effective. And um, so while he was on set, too, of course, he, he famously came up with the whole... Jason jumping uh, out of the water and, and spoiler alert <laughs> unbelievable how could I uh, he apparently though again just like they just wanted to rip off Halloween he just got back from seeing Carrie and thought the movie should but, have a cool jump scare at the but end that in the movie because of course at the end of Carrie um, there's a scene with um, the wo- the one sole survivor placing flowers on the rubble of the burned down house and then a bloodied arm pops out and grabs her and then she wakes up from a dream and of course in friday the 13th she's laying up to the lone survivor laying in the middle of a lake uh jason jumps out of the water and grabs her and then she wakes up also from a dream um so it's just unbelievable the just cut and paste job that was done on friday the 13th but they did really nail it and they did come up with a few of their own things along the way and one of those things is you know the practical joker guy that like you know always gets murdered in every ned rubenstein yes ned Ned rubenstein and we can get into i think more of the cast now okay um uh if if unless you have something else to say about mr tom savini fascinating fucking dude uh there's uh the way doing the research for this, every like neat little moment in the movie had Tom's hand in it. Yeah, basically, pretty much. Uh, when uh, there was a quick jump scare early in the film, where uh, one of the characters is nearly hit by an arrow, 
because wacky jokester Ned Rubenstein uh, wanted to play, you know, a funny joke. Uh, that was Tom Savini firing the arrow. The uh, snake scene where the cast actually uh, kills a live snake in one of the cabins uh, was because Savini had an incident with a snake in one of the cabins he was staying at. Huh. Uh, several people decided to stay in a hotel. Savini specifically stayed in the cabin. Ah, yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah, he's a real wilderness. Well, that would make sense. He's had his face down in the muck, you know, throwing babies across the <laughs> across the room. I'm sorry. The only thing I know about uh, Vietnam is based on seeing Rambo 6. That's... Is that an issue? I don't know if that's one of the Rambo's. I don't even think it was set in <laughs> Vietnam, but I just remember at one point they throw a baby into a, into a fire, and then Rambo kicks their asses. Uh, uh, awesome. By the way, we'll definitely be doing a Wizard of the Bruiser <laughs> on Rambo 6. Okay. That is super going to happen. <laughs> just that one. Uh, anyways, um, so, what? okay, and th- okay, now we're about to get into why watching this in college for me really clicked. This is the moment, the defining moment right here. Dur- for the casting, uh, Cunningham himself admits that he was not looking for great actors. He just wanted anyone that was likable and appeared to be a responsible camp counselor. Now, when I first watched, started watching these slasher films in college, mm-hmm. it finally all clicked with me. I was like, all these actors are awful. You hate them all immediately. You cannot wait to see all of them get murdered the fuck out of themselves this is where we're gonna differ really this is where i've i've seen a lot of the fan reactions i understand that there are people there are characters that like people absolutely hate but throughout the entire movie like yeah they're not great actors but something about seeing like an older film stock and like seeing feel these like retro fashions no i'm just used to that standard oh, okay. of like eh, acting okay <laughs> from that from that quality of film uh, people famously hate uh, Annie Phillips, who is like the introductory character. She's the one that's like with her, all of her camping gear, walking lonely down the road, trying to hitch a ride to Camp Crystal Lake. Uh-huh. Um, it's a famous misdirect <coughs> because they clearly establish her as like the protagonist, like girl that we're supposed to follow, and right. she dies very early in the movie mm-hmm. with one of the creepiest kills. The effects when her throat gets slashed is like there's this hot second where. Uh, you know, her throat is cut and you're like, okay, it's not that bad. And then the blood just gushes just, yeah. just long enough for you to be like, oh no, she's not fine. Yeah. Um, but people <laughs> are just like, oh, that annoying, like girl, like, oh, she's just a positive seventies girl. Like what's, what's so wrong about that? It's, um, yeah, I don't know. There's just, yeah, there was something famous, about, uh, uh, Kevin Bacon's in this. Yes. Kevin Bacon's totally in this. And like, he's, I, you know, I'm used to the slasher trope of like the horny teens, the sluts get killed. And like the, you know, the sin of teenage Kevin Bacon is like a decent boyfriend in clearly a long-term relationship. <laughs> like they're not like fucking Did around he put his penis in it. Yeah, but, like, they're clearly, like, together. It's not, like, my, through my modern eyes, there's nothing Un- wrong with it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, hell, like... Even- now you're gonna get... See, you're about to... Okay, now you gotta go home, all right? What? And you're gonna get... it. Yeah, there's gonna be a big, scary man now. You're, de- you're defending these it's people. It's just two... I mean, I don't see two underage teens having, like, gross sex. I see... Two people in their early 20s who clearly are in a relationship that just, like, snuck a quick moment for themselves. And, like, they're even doing their jobs. They're still fixing the camp. They're fine. Everybody in this movie did not deserve to die. No, they didn't. But, you know, it is just 
Like, and as the movies go, by the way, yeah. the actors get worse and worse, by True. the way. So no, like, uh, the, all these people were cast from the New York theater scene. At the very least, they yeah. had to be an engaging presence. Except for Alice, which was an open casting. And again, it was a hype move. It was totally just another move to build up uh, mm. momentum for, for the film itself. Alice is the final girl in Friday the 13th. Yes, she is the final girl with her, of the final With her bowl trip. cut and her, and her love of arts and responsibility. She does <laughs> not get naked. Uh, she's, uh, kind of has a crush on, uh, Bill, mm. reliable Bill, who mm. almost makes it to the end. Uh, Bill, of course, played by Harry Crosby, Bing Crosby's, Bing Crosby's son. So good. And, but there is one seasoned actor in this whole piece. Uh, Walt Gorney as <laughs> crazy Ralph. Can we get a crazy Ralph here? I love crazy Ralph. <laughs> This man's neck is made out of is this, fibers. This is the first old man at the beginning of the uh, movie Texas that Chainsaw warns. Texas Chainsaw Massacre had like a warning guy. Did that too. come out before Friday the 13th? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Um, You're going to camp blood, ain't you? God damn it, Rob. Get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a the death, death curse. <laughs> What is that accent? What is that accent? Got a death curse. They're like clearly supposed to be in upstate New York or New Jersey or something. And the. No, but of course, the seasoned actor I was referring to was uh, Betsy Palmer, um, who took the part, uh, even though she was quoted as saying, what a piece of shit. Nobody is ever going to see this thing. Um, But she needed a new car. Mm-hmm. And money talks. So she took the part. Now, Betsy Palmer, she was in Mr. Roberts alongside Henry Fonda, Jack <laughs> Lemon, James Cagney, and Will Powell. She was uh, She's a life member of the Actors Studio, um, a prestigious actor. Um, did, hey, yeah, a wor- I mean, people will have seen her in, like, wholesome television shows. She was, uh, like, a June Cleaver-like presence. Yes. Very... Like, okay, I have this quote about her her method for this, okay? Being an actress who uses the Stanislavski method. All right, now, first of all, pause, Stanislavski method. For anybody unfamiliar, I trained in this a little bit when I was in college Oh, you pretentious dick. I did. I trained. I did, given circumstances. Please, Jake, Mm -hmm. please give me a moment because I need to. (sighs) Okay. Sorry, I had to return to Holden. Is Act, acting a, is just lying convincingly for a moment the, i had you don't to have to hide to it behind them. 18 layers of, of i nonsense. had some given circumstances i had to fill out all right thousands of decent actors don't have to go through all this idiocy <laughs> stanislavski method is is just a very floofy do actor training sort of thing she said i always try to find details about my character with pamela i began with a class ring that i remember reading in the script that she'd worn starting with that i traced pamela back to my own high school days in the early 1940s so it's 1944 a very conservative time and pamela has a steady boyfriend they have sex which is very bad of course and pamela soon gets pregnant with jason the father takes off And when Pamela tells her friends they disown her because having babies out of wedlock isn't something that good girls do. I think she took Jason and raised him the best she could, but she turned out to be, he turned out to be a very strange boy. She took lots of odd jobs, and one of those jobs was as a cook at a summer camp. Then Jason drowns and her whole world collapses. What were the counselors doing instead of watching Jason? They were having sex, which is the way that she got into trouble. From that point on, Pamela became very psychotic and puritanical in her attitudes as she was determined to kill all of the immoral camp counselors. She came up with the whole fucking crazy-ass backstory to this 
fucking paper thin slasher film. I love it. This is actually, I kind of, okay, I, this is all rolling in my head. Honestly, I didn't realize there'd be so much to talk about for this one movie. Mm. But so the kids in the summer camp uh, are getting knocked off one by one and kind of just this horny version of like an Agatha Christie novel. There's like a little bit of a murder mystery going on. Is it Steve, the camp owner, desperate to uh, make his, you know, maybe he needs the insurance money and he's like too scared to open the camp. So he's killing kids to like get it shut down. Maybe it's crazy Walter. No, I'm sorry. Walter was the name of the actor. Crazy Ralph. (laughs) Got a death curse. He was so crazy. Ralph was played by an actor named crazy Walter. Maybe it was Ned. (laughs) Ned who was coveting the, uh, who was all alone and was clearly lusting after the women at the camp with him. You know, they were setting up some misdirects. And so, uh, and with Halloween as the uh, previous, you know, as the expectation and with the, uh, oh God, okay. And with the score by uh, uh, Harry Manfredi, I hope yes. that's his name. Yes, uh, I have that right here. It is Harry Manfredini. Ha- Harry Manfredini, please just, forgive it's me. an Italian guy. Let's just uh, say that. He's just Mr. Italian. We'll call him that. And uh, like, if you listen to the score, the score does an amazing job of setting up the killer's presence, even when they're not on screen. It mm. leads to a sense of malice and 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 threat. Uh, wait, just play a little second of it. Yeah. So like the the low resonant horns and like the screeching strings it's like meant to put you off ease that there's something large there's something like a prowling taking out these teens that can't be stopped but you know it's a lot of the same musical tricks that the the jaws theme did it's it's like oh, 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 oh. With like very little middles, and that's the thing. So this was it was it was heavily inspired uh, by Jaws, of course, which came out before. Um, uh, to have that sort of theme with the ki- with mm. the killer's theme, where you instantly recognize. Sure, yeah, let's let's hear that real quick. Low low frequency yep. means large. Yeah. Silence means everything else has gone still because there's a threat nearby. Getting faster means approaching quickly. These are all like primal cues that we're from birth understand right. as something is out to get you. Right. It was um, also inspired actually by a piece uh, from the Polish composer Krzysztof Pindarecki. <laughs> I have no idea how to say this man's first name. Pindarecki, uh, that was his last name. Um, he used striking pronunciations in this one piece that uh, Manfredini had heard. And um, he uh, ended up uh, coming up with the the striking pronunciation of it's supposed to be k- 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 ma ma ma, which stands of course for kill and mommy, um, because you also have the line of the film kill her mommy. But it was it's a little be- more higher pitch if you remember, because Betsy Palmer would do this weird thing where she would talk to Jason, yes, to herself. Yes. So it was always like, oh well, hello there. Don't worry, I'm here to kill her mommy. Oh, I yeah. want them to die. Yeah, that's what it was. And by the way, again, let's just throw another ripoff into the mix. Psycho, just like an opposite psycho. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The dead, <laughs> the dead kid. The mom talks to the dead kid yeah. instead of uh, totally instead of Bates talking to his dead mom. You have it. Awesome. Oh, killer mommy. Killer mommy. Killer. 
After everything that's been set up, the titillation of all the nudity and the sex scenes, including when some of the campers decide to play Strip Monopoly, which is the <laughs> dumbest game to ever play the strip <laughs> version. Just like, so, like, tired and bored by yeah. the end of it, or hey, irrationally Hey, you want to get real turned on? Wait till I take my socks off in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> strip Monopoly is, is dumb. <laughs> it is really dumb. <laughs> um but when all is said and done, when it's time for the final showdown, it's an elderly woman and, like, a clean Christian teen just in a drag-out battle to the death with each other across an entire summer camp. And you don't see that. You don't see that. And it's, like, really interesting. It kind of flips the uh, Halloween thing on its head. It's a clever moment. It's, yeah. n- it's good. It is Absolutely. a good, interesting thing. And the idea that the uh, Friday the 13th series immediately became uh, hulking hockey face, ripped some bitches apart the franchise is is kind of surreal. Yeah. It's kind of surreal. And listening to the filmmakers talk about it. Well, there was no hockey face until the third film, but yes. It's it's kind of <laughs> because the first movie was so complete that they really had nowhere else to go. And because of the twist ending and uh, the little last thing, like, that means he's still out there. Jason was the only threat remaining entity within the Friday the 13th universe. And so, of course, they bring him back again and again and again and again and again and again because the movie was incredibly successful, at least with uh, kids and um, (laughs) moviegoers now. But the reviews are in, and uh, (laughs) they are are just brutal. Um, Variety claimed the film was a low budget in the worst sense with no apparent talent or intelligence to offset its technical inadequacies. Friday the 13th has nothing to exploit, but it's title. Um, uh, and I know, Jake, you do you have some of Gene Siskel's uh, classic Gene review? Siskel uh, <laughs> thoroughly hated this movie. He hated the entire slasher franchise, uh, slasher movie movement. Uh, I mean, to be fair, they are based around titillation, exploitation, and a lack of, uh, of kind of consideration for the film as a medium. Uh, with, a, with a few very, like, Friday the 13th is not well made there's some interesting shots and they did a few things right but like so he goes into uh the point and after ranting against uh the entirety of the cast uh the director himself uh which is uh okay oh yeah 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 uh i hoped i've ruined oh he reveals the twist in the review right off the bat he's like i am trying to hurt this movie Betsy Palmer is the killer. It's like because her son died and she wants to punish the camp. That's so crazy. That's so crazy. Um, he goes, so uh, I hope I've ruined fi- Friday the 13th, which is the latest film by one of the most despicable creatures ever to infest the movie business, Sean S. Cunningham. You may have heard of one of his other films, Last House on the Left, a film in which a teenage girl is forced at gunpoint to urinate on herself, then shot on the head. Uh, he goes on to criticizing the movie, how it just relies on shock violence, uh, in more than one scene, Cunningham rips off sequences from the hit shocker Halloween, which was much less bloody, much less ex- explicit about its attacks, and much better directed by John Carpenter. Uh, Friday the 13th is being distributed by Paramount Pictures, and it is very surprising that a major publicly held film company uh, handled a movie as bloody as this. Uh, previously, Cunningham had had to work with small-time independent release companies. Paramount is a division of Gulf and Western Industries. If you want to complain about this film, you can write to Charles G. Bloodhorn, the chairman of Gulf and Western at One Gulf Western Place, New York, New York. Betsy Palmer lives in a little town of Rowaway, Connecticut. I'm sure a letter to the general delivery will get to her. Wow. He literally is making, he's 
inciting people to send hate mail wow. to an elderly actress. It's insane. Because of his political agenda. That's so crazy. And in a, like in a in a perfect fairy tale world, like I get what he's saying, but he's being an insane nightmare dick about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you look back on it, you're like, really, dude? It's just a fun, dumb. That's oh yeah, movie. that's the other thing. It's like it's super tame. Like all the sex, all the you know, it's 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 just a, at this point, there's been so much time between 1980 and now that it might as well be like Victorians in a ghost house getting frightened to death. Like <laughs> there, it doesn't, it's not as salacious as it once was. No, nah, not at all. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was of course reviled by critics, but but it's given a bit of a shine uh, since then uh, from from critics and and sort of uh, propped up to be you know what it was, which is uh, I mean a, a giant film franchise. Do you have a favorite yourself? Uh, have you seen Have you seen any of the this other? Is the, this is the first one I've ever okay, seen. Okay, so definitely watch. I mean, honestly, watch all of them. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say um, the uh, yeah the fourth one is amazing. Uh, Jason Goes to Hell is pretty terrible. Um, Jason Takes Manhattan's really fun and dumb. I hear that's Jason, hilarious. Jason X is hilarious. Jason X <laughs> looks like a softcore porn movie <laughs> set in space, and it's just so fun, stupid. And um, actually, Fravers Jason, really fucking good time. Like a really good time. Um, so there's really, you know, it's a fun ass franchise to just you know let go and hang out and have a bunch of laughs like again what clicked in for me not only was it just like oh let's look at all these bad act watch all these bad actors get killed and 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 the fun you know the fun of the kill like oh what's the, the kill, kill gonna is, be like the kill is super important yeah because there was nothing to again there was nothing to go to go on uh you know alice the character survived but you know they didn't want people to they didn't want any one actor to get any bigger than the franchise itself so they killed her off within a like the first scene of friday the 13th part two yeah uh which oddly enough i i did notice that i did look at that scene because in theory it's like the the true end of this movie and she just is literally ad-libbing a phone call to her friend where she says she moved to california which makes no sense because the rest of part two takes place back at camp crystal lake which is canonically on the east coast so that means baghead jason boarded a plane somehow <laughs> or walked slowly across carrying the his mom's head for that cool refrigerator surprise gag yeah um but the the tempo of salaciousness like uh uh quiet moments and like giddy like softcore porn thrills some of intercut my, yeah with incredible bloody kill effects because some of my favorite parts are really those lead-up parts where it's just camp kids having fun like there's just something about that that's just so enjoyable and then it's like oh wait this isn't even about camp kids having fun this is about <laughs> awesome murders you know and that was the thing was in college getting that it was it was about hanging out with a group of people and getting a bunch of beers and screaming at the tv screen when the kills happen yeah like that was it was like oh this makes so much sense this is why people watch this, this is why this is fun you know um and and realizing like oh this is like the one time like you shouldn't be a snoot in a movie theater about people making noise around you like if you're gonna go see a movie like this you need you would hope to expect people yelling at the screen you know and 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 just having a good old time like being real crazy you know and uh yeah i think that that's what what makes it such a a fun uh film to to check out you know and and uh why it holds up and stands the test of time sort of ish except for it is sort of dated it's sort of dated, but it's a beautiful relic of like this yeah. this genre, and it's like very like 
early stages. I just love that Jason's just barely in it. It's so great. That ending scare, that last it's thing great. with him in like the weird hydrocephalic makeup out covered in swamp muck. Yeah. And like the way the camera pants, it is so well done. So cool. It is so good. And for like bonus points, Manfredi finally, uh, throughout the movie, music is only reserved for when the killer is stalking. It's kind of like, you know, quiet, fun, wholesome times. And then like music only indicates the killer's presence. And so when Alice is in the rowboat on that like iconic, you know, like dreamlike state, uh, they finally play like, la da 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 da. Like, you did it. It's yeah. the end. Happy times. And then wham, weird kid out of the water. Right. Great. Beautiful. Now, we, we uh, wanted to talk about this film, especially for uh, the time, um, because, of course, the Friday the 13th, the game, recently came out, mm -hmm. and uh, people are getting into that. Uh, one and person... much like the movie itself, it was made on a relatively small budget. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was kickstarted uh, for, I think, a little bit over a million dollars. Kind of just this genre exercise. They weren't even expecting to get the license at first, but Sean Cunningham... Uh, met with them and worked with them and decided to just make it an official Friday the 13th yeah, game. That's it. It was originally called something else. Um, Splatter fuck, Volume 1 yeah. Summer Camp. Something and, uh, like that. Yeah, it's, um, it, you know, yeah, they had a crazy Kickstarter. Um, one person, it's a multiplayer game. One person plays as Jason. Seven other people play as the counselors. You're just trying to survive, essentially. You can repair phone lines to call police or find fuel for a car. You can radio Tommy boat. Jarvis to help you kill Jason. Yeah, Tommy Jarvis will show up, right? You yeah. Can, yeah. One of the players that dies, if they meet the, if the rest of the players meet the requirements, can call in Tommy, and you can come back with a shotgun, and you have like your what your all your That's stats cool. are boosted. So before that, though, of course, we had Friday the Thirteenth on the NES. I just wanted to talk about it briefly. Oh uh, my God. From the manual, uh, it's a pretty typical summer at Camp Crystal Lake. There's a group of happy children staying in the camp. You and your six camp, which is not anything that happened in the movies, which you and your six camp counselor friends are watching over the kids while enjoying the lake and the wilderness. The days are bright and sunny. The nights are cold and clear. And Jason is on a rampage. <laughs> um, it was developed by Atlas. Cut, 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 crossover. The same dev that did the Persona series and Shin Megami Tensei. Um, and it was released February 1989 on the NES as uh, it was quoted in what I read as an aggressive uh, licensing campaign by the uh, by uh, LJN. Yeah. <laughs> um, just trying to take any licensed thing and make it into um, all the bad movie games that you associate with the early NES years. Jaws. Uh, right. I can't even count them all. This is the, the, the angry, the angry video game nerd covered yeah, them all. Yeah, exactly. This is the, the, this I feel like is kind of similar to um, the blowback. We we'll, we'll probably get blowback for this. Like we got for Friday or uh, for Castlevania two Simon's quest, because oh. I think a lot of people remember this game very fondly, no. but it's actually a trash, Impossible. a trash heap game. Well, I mean, the fact is, is that this game, it's a Nintendo game. So children were playing it. And in order to even remotely understand the language of what was happening on screen, you had to be intimately familiar with the Friday the 13th games. Like you have to find Jason's mom's sweater, which like, you find in a cave, but only if you have a 
flashlight first. And you can optionally fight her if you unlock this door inside of the cave. And, and she's she obviously she's around. a floating she's like decayed a, head that shoots fireballs at yeah, you. Yeah, Medusa head. Um, you, when you encounter, what well, the whole point is to uh, encounter and fight off Jason three times, survive for three days and three nights. Do it to do that. Every time you encounter Jason, it's like Punch Out style combat. It would switch into this other like kind of first person ish mode. You had to go it's into cabins bizarre. to find items, and Jason, who was like basically a bit of math that was randomly running around the map at a pattern that no human being could actually learn without a without a guide. It is so indecipherable and so obtuse and so dumb that, like, the actual process by way of winning the game would have been completely unknowable for a child in the early 90s. <laughs> so so I don't know if you necessarily want to go back and play that one, but I will recommend um, just look up Awesome Games Done Quick speedrun of, mm. of Friday the 13th. They have a really fun one there where the guy talks through the whole, you know, uh, uh, over the whole game and kind of explains why it's so janky and crazy and also speedruns it, which is really fun. Um, it is actually interesting that the uh, the new game, which, again, was kind of small, but then is getting a massively growing fan base huge. because of word so of mouth. So huge, the servers melted for the first, like, weekend, and so I think it's actually maybe playable now. Uh, fame, they had, like... 18,000 backers, they tested their servers to double to to make sure they could handle double that and 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 their first day they had 80,000 like quintuple or quadruple it. Uh and so the game the new game mirrors the old game because Jason is stalking from cabin to cabin while all the campers while the counselors are running around filling very arbitrary objectives. And to actually kill Jason in game in the new game is so convoluted yeah. and difficult to pull off yeah. that it's basically the same convoluted method that it took to kill Jason in the NES game. I yeah. don't know if that's a coincidence. Or it's not. it is it's a crazy you have to do some crazy jumping through hoops. But uh yeah, people are really into it thus far, so we'll see what happens. And uh, I'm definitely interested to play it myself. Well, I think that covers it for Friday the thirteenth. Um, do you have any last uh, last words before uh, we uh, before we wrap this one up, Jake? Uh, I strip monopoly was dumb. Yeah, it was the dumbest thing to attempt totally. to be sexy. Uh, Jason's mom being the killer is actually kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, why did Alice get into the boat? Why did she get into the? That's a terrible escape route. Just it's a weird weird way to get away. Other than she just wanted to. I think it was more just to relax. Uh, <laughs> um, the actress that played Alice. Uh, now makes a wine called uh, Crystal Lake like Vineyard awesome. Chardonnay. Uh, the cool. advert is super cringy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the only Chardonnay that will help you get back to the lake. <laughs> it's very silly. That's um, but uh, I hope it's just blood. I probably <laughs> it's. I think it's a Syrah as well. Um. So yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad we got to cover this. I'm really for glad sure. I got to watch the movie. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you did. Too. I love that this is just an excuse for you to go back and watch these movies. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Next um, week, we're doing Showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, I think that's all for me. Check out Hold Nader's Ho on Twitch. Uh, uh, yeah, that's where I'm doing so much of my stuff, streaming uh, almost almost every day at this point. Uh, you can go onto YouTube and check out the Drawfee channel where I uh, help uh, College Humor's illustration team uh, joke around and make some incredibly upsetting drawings. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. There you go. Um, there's a, I have a Holdenator shirt also on the Cave Comedy Radio store and a little sneak peek for you. I think we might have some Wizard and the Bruiser shirts coming your oh, way. Oh, please say it's so. 
I want to drape my torso with my own face. Oh, mama. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a good one. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.